Within our formation as disciples, we often err towards particular ways of growing in our relationship with God. And the aim of this five-episode podcast series is to embrace those contrasts within our face, the two sides of the same coin, so that we might find ourselves growing more into the image bearers that we were called to be. This is Heads and Tails, I'm your host Dan, and in this episode I'm joined by Vic and Fran, and we're talking about what it means to be in a faith movement that is, at the same time, both ancient and modern. And again, if you haven't listened to the sermon podcasts from this past weekend, it would be a really good idea for you to go and check those out before you listen into this conversation. But you could do that afterwards if you really want to. They are worth checking out so you can get the fullest experience of this series. So Vic, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be here, Dan. And Fran, welcome to the Heads and Tails podcast. Kia ora. This good is to our be here. Nice little experience. Um, we've had some, some great feedback on these kinds of conversations about taking the either-or-ish parts of the, you know, the, the Sunday messages, and this is about, well, let's combine them. This is a both-and conversation. So we're talking about thing our, our faith being ancient, old, it's a long-lasting, a long-lasting faith, but also modern. It seems to reinvent itself. And so Vic talked on Sunday night about the modern aspect, and, and, and Fran so beautifully started the day with a look at the ancient thing and as we started last week's podcast uh, I thought we could have this conversation again a little bit Fran do you tend to, to, to or do you think people tend to, to swing one way more so than the other when it comes to this whole idea of ancient and modern ways of engaging in faith yeah, I think they do, at least initially anyway. I'd say maybe even in the first half of life, we probably orient ourselves more around one end of that spectrum or the other. And often what happens as we go through the middle years of life and out the other side, uh, we develop an appreciation for things that we previously avoided and find them quite life-giving and healthy. And so I think perhaps what we discover is that rather than the either or, is that actually inside us we have both. We have the person who loves the new stuff, but there's also the, the part of us that loves the old, and one will be dominant at one time in, in our life, and it's it's quite nice to let the other part have a bit of an outing from time to time. And, and this is the whole uh, you know idea behind the series, is it's searching for spiritual growth. This is new things to step into. This is, well, you've if you if you always do the same thing, the always you'll always get the same sort of result. And so maybe as a way of growing in your relationship with God, you could try swinging that pendulum a little bit the other way. Vic, what you know, as someone who's been a Christian for a long time, was it was it interesting for you to explore what it's like to maybe do that modern faith thing, maybe with fresh eyes, or maybe for you know people who are less than six months into into following Jesus, was that a unique thing to do? Yeah, I think for, for me, when I became a Christian, I've, I felt I arrived in a church that was very modern in the sense that it didn't have stained glass windows or even church buildings, so your school hall type arrangement. And so um, that was my natural, I loved that. And I was, and I was like, this is so much better than the stuffy churches that I went to in a Sunday school sense. And, and yet a little like Fran's saying, you know, kind of here I am in the second half of my life. Um, and... And some of those other things become more meaningful uh, as you go through your life. You realise that the on, only the modern probably doesn't have the substance that you're looking for. Maybe only the ancient um, 
has some issues in terms of modern culture. So combine the two is a pretty good thing. And it's interesting because, you know, it's just in the earliest times of our, our Christian faith that it was Christians who started putting extensions on their houses so they could have gatherings at home because they didn't have anywhere to meet because there were no churches because such a thing didn't exist. So, uh, you know, that sense of meeting in funny places, they met in funeral clubs and that sort of stuff back in ancient times. So they rented spaces. So it's ancient and modern what we're doing. Do you think there's a need for people as they're coming to know Jesus, as they're coming to engage with what it is to be a follower and to be in a relationship with God, to, to learn the history. So there's that, that whole conversation that they had, you know, in those in those first centuries of, well, you're not Jewish, and so therefore can you be a follower of a Jewish rabbi, or is there something that needs to change there? So what do you, what do you say to the person who says, what's in the past is in the past, where I'm at now is where I'm at, and where I'm going is where I'm going, and what's happened before me? Not that it doesn't matter, but that I don't think it's got anything to, to bring to me. Well, I'd say you're deluded. <laughs> well, you know, the part we are formed by our past. You know, we a bit like um, the video clip that I showed of Eliza McCartney so brilliantly sailing over that bar. She can't start from underneath the bar. She has to take a run up. So we we've got to cover some ground and acknowledge even our own history. We don't. None of us starts from zero. We've got some things in us, and our. Um, faith has a long history so knowing some of that you can't take it all in in one go that would just blow our minds we wouldn't cope but I think there is um, well Jesus even as a historical figure we have to get to know Jesus so we're starting even uh, with the gospels and getting to know who these people are in the bible who are informing our faith as we live it today so I'd say that probably most people are covering a bit of historical territory even if they don't realize it and that's right. a good thing I think it's a great thing too that you get, uh, if you understand a little bit of church history, it's such an encouraging thing. Um, so we probably know more of the, um, I don't know, the difficult sides of church history and some of the times that the church hasn't been great and um, we need to own up to that as well. But there are ma the church is magnificent. The church is a, a wonderful thing that has been sustained by the leading of the Spirit of God and the sacrificial love and um, lives of Christians for 2,000 years, why wouldn't you want to know your family that got you here so that you can understand, I, I guess, the responsibility of the current generation uh, from its past and also going into its future? Yeah, there's a great saying that uh, those who don't know the past or don't know history are doomed to repeat it. So by looking back, we, we learn how to behave and we learn how not to behave, and both of those are equally important. Both of those are present in the church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, when you said, Fran, that as people are, are maybe new to faith, they it, it is overwhelming. You, you look at the Old Testament, you look at the God who was in the Old Testament, and that is so violent, and there is all these laws, and I'm unsure about, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff in there that doesn't make any sense because it was from thousands of years ago and, and, and so it doesn't connect. So to, to both of you, what, what would be your, your best next step to someone who has been invited to church, they've met a resurrected saviour, they've, ex they've accepted that their past is, 
is you know a part of what's brought them to where they are now and and where they're headed is now different thanks to this you know new relationship with God that they've found and yet there is this church history that they have no idea about and it is overwhelming so what would you encourage them and where's a good place to go what resources we can put links in the in the notes on the, on the website to any websites or anything but where is a good place to go to find out the history of your your faith I guess I would encourage people first and foremost just to really get to know Jesus because Jesus is God and so primarily it's it's when we see things in the Old Testament that don't look like Jesus then they might not even really be God that there's a human component to that behavior that God wasn't endorsing so that's why ongoing scholarship and the benefit of wonderful theologians and biblical archaeologists and all kinds of people, boffins, working away in the field, fishing up new things so that we can understand our scriptures in a better light. Um, So the person of Jesus and the incarnation is absolutely essential to understanding anything, even in the Old Testament, because there is that sort of sense of that God seems different to Jesus. And so I think that's a really important dialogue. And I think uh, even a dialogue with God to encourage people to, to talk to God about those things in prayer and to form relationships that are safe places to ask questions and uh, I just love that the Jewish tradition I mean mostly we see Jesus asking questions not telling people stuff I think we can learn from that that we're allowed to ask questions and so in terms of a resource of, of learning church history, I guess in a way I don't really have one off the top of my head and that it, it won't necessarily nurture everyone's faith to kind of go straight there. But the sense that we lean into some pretty old things is important and I'd love us to be a church that values both so that people can come in and get a sense of that without even necessarily having to read a whole um, Justo Gonzalez you know, yeah. six hundred no word tome or something first, like yeah. that. Yeah, but we can definitely resource people who are interested, for sure. I think too, within the, um, the two thousand years of the church, a lot of the questions have already been answered. There are no new questions, really. You know, sort of why do good bad things happen to good people? Um, we have to work that out internally for ourselves, but we can actually discover. Uh, the writings of the ancients and of the scriptures to understand that and so that, there's no new heresies really sort of they all happened early so so that's part of the treasure trove um, so I think you know for the new believer I guess it's it's like Fran says it's, it's just meeting us Jesus having your life transformed uh, and slowly slowly sort of not as a full immersion but slowly understanding some of that bigger picture is really important I think for those of us alongside such a person, that this is our friend, this is someone we love and care for, we get to perhaps do a good job of of talking through some of the important things like the sacraments, these two things, baptism and uh, Eucharist or communion. What is that? What is the table? Why do we eat the bread? Why do we drink out of this funny little cup? Uh, Why do we, uh, on a cold day, get into the sea in our clothes or that kind of thing and so that's when we're leaning back into just thousands of years of of tradition and there are layers and layers of symbolism and meaning there and so to spend enough time in conversation to be able to unpack that is great and that creed that we used the apostles creed that we said together on Sunday that's a great tool for discipleship because you can just take it line by line and unpack it with someone um, 
over coffees or wine and cheese over months. So, yeah, th- we've got some great, very simple resources. I mean, that's what the early church was using. Renea said, I commend to you the Creed of the Apostles. So it's a good teaching resource and always has been. One of the things, Vic, that you said before we started recording this afternoon was that uh, y- you've noticed more so... And you know, in, in recent years, I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was there is a, a trend towards people of this new generation, the millennials, the, the Generation Z kids, coming through, noticing communion, and really being drawn to this this ancient thing that seems to be happening, and that and this is what people are being drawn to almost. Yeah, I think that probably when I was a twenty year old, it seemed like we, we found a better way somehow. Um, it feels like 20-year-olds or 20-somethings now have this sense of uh, mystery is a good thing, whereas for me it was like, yeah, well, you have, just have to have answers, black and white, thank you very much. Mystery is not a bad thing. Um, all of a sudden, it seems, again, beauty um, is is one of the highest things, perhaps, that we could discover, the things that God is doing. Fran and I went to um, Teza a few years ago, and, and there are busloads and busloads of um, young uh, uh, adults coming from all over Europe, probably all over the world, to a small French village, to a, a great big centre of exploring faith, Christian faith, um, and you know, being involved in liturgies and chants and, and all sorts of things that you would have thought died out a thousand years ago in some cases, and yet they're getting real life from them. And I can only think that's another move of God, a, a reminder, a fresh. There's a freshness in this old thing that we thought had died out, some of us have thought it died out um, but there's a, a freshness and a magic there and it still to, to yet be tapped Yes, yeah, so Teze is amazing, so 4,000 young people a week a week arrive in this village to sing chants and to attend a simple liturgical service three times a day and then to just hang out in between and it's been going since after World War Two. And so, as people who are not in their twenties, why do you think that is? What is it from from your observation as as parents of people who are in their twenties or have been in their twenties, and as church leaders, why why do you think in modern times where I could listen to worship albums that are current sounding that sound you know modern and and I. I could engage in in this faith that is modern. Why are the ancient ways of engaging in faith still? Why are they still working for people? Or maybe in a fresh way. Why, why do you think that is? And, and maybe it's a representation of the heads and tails because I don't think that those young people are just doing chants from right. a thousand years ago. I think they're listening to worship music as well, and they're listening to podcasts, and they've got apps and all of that. So they're they're not sort of a, a throwback, but but a realization, and and so one would hope that they actually represent a far more holistic, if that's the right thing, or, you know, getting uh, fed or, or getting tapping into a broader and and therefore deeper, more genuine, more complete um, understanding of what faith is all about. I'd hope so, anyway. Mm. Yeah, and I've got a couple of thoughts on that, too. I think uh, humans really do have a fundamental need for light and shade the darkness and the light, so heads and tails, if you like. And so if you're in a a faith environment that only ever permits the light and expects you to be up all the time, that's exhausting. And 
and people can't live there. So the emphasis on sort of peak experiences in the mountaintop, we, the, the air is thin up there. We have to experience life in the valleys and we need a bit of a breather from some of that. So a plateau is quite helpful just to go along. So I think um, what the more contemplative paths offer is the opportunity to actually really have a breather and in our fast-paced society where there's a lot of anxiety the opportunity to rest in God's love uh, in a in a quiet space maybe even with candlelight and the sense of affection for one another is actually a very healing thing for people and it's silence and quietness is surprisingly safe you don't have to worry about fixing people or what you ought to say. So I think there is something really rich that's offered in that, that, that people do, actually, if it's done well, they don't find it weird. They find it warm and welcoming. It's, it's so encouraging, and I think something that Vic, you mentioned on Sunday night, where you said we are, it's, it's and maybe, maybe we said it on the podcast last week as well, but actually there's never been an easier time than right now to be a follower of Jesus because on the device that is sitting on the couch next to you or that you're li- using to listen to this very podcast is everything. You have access to the best modern scholars and access to, in any language you need, all of these ancient writings that have all been digitized and have all been translated. So what's your... You, you used, a, used a phrase on Sunday night, the, the fear you have is, is starving in the land of plenty. Do you want to just maybe expand on, on that yeah. concern? Yeah, I mean, uh, 500 years ago, nobody had a Bible because it wasn't, you weren't allowed, basically, and you know, lots of countries still don't have Bibles. Now we have Bibles in every language at the push of a button, but we still don't read them uh, necessarily. So so I, my fear, I guess, as a pastor, perhaps, is that we, we have all of this opportunity, we've got all these gadgets, all of these you know, wonderful things that we could be tapping into that nobody else ever has had because of technology, modern, um, and they're all wonderful. But are we going to that well and are we drinking from it? And I think that all comes down to some sort of personal choice. At some point, we we need to be living in a rhythm and in a life that is slows down from time to time, that takes opportunity from time to time, that listens to God, that taps into those things. And that's probably always been the state of our heart. But, but I guess my cry is for us to discover the maybe the ancient, but also the modern, to deepen our relationship with Jesus, which at the end of the day is what it's all about. There was a, a quote that you said you really liked from C.S. Lewis that I haven't been able to, to find here in front of me, but it was, if, if you want the, the best of the modern, you kind of have to go to the, the best of, of the ancients. Do you remember? I, I tried looking for it just while, just while you were talking before. Yeah, Fran's <laughs> probably got a better, a better handle on it. Uh, oh, yeah. So I just thought it was just so brilliant that uh, C.S. Lewis said that um, as a modern writer, he has a vested interest in wanting people to buy modern books. But he said, if you have to choose, if it's it's down to an old book or a new book, he said, choose the old one. Why? Because that way you get to test uh, the the new against the old, against the the great... uh, volume, if you like, of Christian thought through the ages. And I thought that was brilliant because um, he acknowledges that we do like to test things and that we're allowed to, actually. So if we, if we have 
got something of a grip of some of the older things, then anything new we read can be read in the light of some of that original thinking from the church fathers and mothers. And it's surprising how contemporary their voices actually are when you read them in a modern translation. They don't sound fogeyish because they don't talk thee or thou. Uh, in the new translations, they're, they're done like the message. It's like they're talking to us in their everyday voices. So Julian of Norwich from the 13th century says, there was never a time when you weren't loved. God's love for you didn't have a beginning. It just has always been and therefore it it can never end. And I just think, well, that's a mind-blowing insight that before we ever were, we were loved. And, you know, if you read it in the original language, it probably sounds a bit dense and hard to get a grip on but when you read a modern version of that it's like whoa give me more of her which is again the benefit so you wouldn't have been able to read uh julian of norwich that way 50 years ago probably but today we can read it with all the power of of what she discovered um but in a way that we can really relate to today and that's sort of where we've got a couple of minutes left where i sort of wanted to to conclude is as people who have seen so much happen in the last couple of decades, both again as, as church leaders as 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 um, Jesus followers. What do you think is coming next? What's going to be modern in our faith? Where, where do you? What, what are your hopes? What are you? What, what are you seeing coming down the line um, for hundred or so years from now, or, or the for generations to come? What what do you think our faith will look like in the future? It's a bit of an odd question, perhaps, but it's so hard to say. But I, I I'm really, I'm always optimistic about mm-hmm. the church. Um, but we do recognise that that fewer and fewer people are going to church. Are fewer and fewer people uh, spiritual? I don't think so. And so I think we're in some way going to reinvent the way we do spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and churches are panicked by that, or, or could panic about that. And certainly churches are closing down and, you know, there are consequences, all sorts of things. But I would like to see it in a more positive sense is that the Spirit of God is or will be at least in that because God is never a time when you weren't loved. It's not just because you're not going to church doesn't mean to say you're not loved anymore. So the Spirit of God will be in that drawing us into different ways of of going deeper with God, you know, ancient or modern or some new paradigm that we have yet to discover. So I'm, I'm optimistic, as I say, without being able to answer yeah. the question. In that sense. Yeah, same. Uh, the great uh, sociologist and church historian, um, Dr. Phyllis Tickle, isn't that a great name? It's a great yeah. name. Don't get names like that anymore. Yeah. Let's bring people like that back. Yeah, well, she said that the the church with a capital C, if you like, the Catholic church, the universal church around the world has a rummage sale every 500 years and they chuck a whole lot of stuff out <laughs> without even knowing that it's happening, but it just happens. What a great thought. I yes. know. And so we're, we are in that time. It's 500 years since the Reformation. So there's a rummage sale going on, initiated by the Spirit of God. Things are being biffed out that uh, aren't working. And I think what we will see is the stuff that really works will survive. And so I don't think we need to really fight for church in a particular form. I think we need to just be really oriented around loving Jesus, loving others, and maybe being aware of things like the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Father, the Almighty, you know, that we know some things that we can anchor our lives in. And then really, 
as far as I'm concerned, the overarching, underpinning everything of everything is love with a capital L, and God is love. So again, yeah, I'm not panicked. I see um, that we're maybe in a time of renewal of some things, and there'll be other things that will, will drop away, and they always have. So yes, I think we don't need to worry, we just need to love. I think that is a great way to end our conversation. Actually, we'd be really keen to hear from you uh, through our Facebook page at Shaw Vineyard Church or just via email if you want to email me. It's dg at spc.org.nz. Be uh, interested on, on, on your thoughts on this. Thank you both, Vic and Fran, so welcome. You're welcome. for being here this afternoon. And uh, be sure to catch the next episode of the podcast out a week from it today as uh, Vic back for a third time in a row. Third time in a row. Look at you go. Uh, Vic uh, and Janelle talking about a faith that is uh, given to God and also receiving from God. That's next time here on the Heads and Tails podcast. We'll see you then.